Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson and um, our special guest, which I should Pastor Adam Clausen. Pastor Adam Clausen, yeah. Um, Adam, before we get started with the podcast, you kind of just want to give people uh, kind of an introduction to who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, thanks for the invitation to uh, be here today. Um, my name is Adam Clausen. I'm the senior leader at Life Center Madison. Uh, it's a non-denominational uh, multicultural church on the southeast side. Um, attended the church since 2001. Um, I was the youth leader there 2006 um, to 2015. 2015 became a senior leader. Um, and uh, currently uh, also work for the Madison Metropolitan School District. Uh, as the director of engagement, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Cool, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, so today, I think maybe two podcasts ago or something. I think two or three. We did uh, a podcast on edu- Christian education and how should Christians educate their children. We kind of talked about three different ways of educating uh, children, which was one was like public schools or what we called government schools. Then there was um, private schools and which would just be like private Christian. And then there was like homeschooling. And so we had some interest in that from people. And so we decided to turn this into like a three part series or um, we're going to do one episode on each one of those things individually. That's going to be more long form and have somebody come on who can be represent that that sector of education fairly and so you're the person that's here for uh, education and or uh, public education so nick i know you have some stuff that you wanted to um give people kind of a yeah I overview just to review from last time and yeah. to, to make sure that adam's kind of up to date I, I said that there are essentially three dynamics relative to education that you can have an education that's christian that's like integratedly christian so you're learning about career christian faith as you learn about everything else in the world there's Christian compatible where it's an education where it's relatively compatible with Christian faith. You don't have to relearn everything if you become a Christian or you don't have to like reorder everything if you are a Christian. And then there's what I called Christian acidic, which is that in ways usually that the student doesn't even know what's happening to them. The education that they're getting is acidic to their Christian faith and making it more difficult or ultimately plausibility wise unthinkable to be a Christian mm-hmm. because of what they've learned. And oftentimes this is an involuntary systematized process. And it, I'm not saying it's intentional by the people educating it just is the result that is is that since i was in government schools to the present a lot of government schooling has moved from the second category into the third and that's why in that podcast i was relatively negative towards government schools um but i think one of the reasons why i want to have adam here and one of the reasons why i think we should talk a little bit more about this is that um in a post-agricultural and and manufacturing society, um, the way we give people access to a living, which I think is biblically fundamental to justice, mm-hmm. that everybody should have access to a living. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that through education, not through land granting, right? Mm-hmm. So there, to have a just society, you have to have some mechanism where people can have access to a living. And education is how we do that. And the main way we educate most students in the United States because of cultural decisions we've made is through government schools. And so there's going to be a number of issues related to it. Right. And so I wanted to have Adam here to like talk about some of those things that it's easy to be flipping about when you just say, well, the progressives have taken over and blah, blah, blah. And partly because Adam not only is an interacting with the public schools, but also because he's working in diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So one of the arguments I think I th- I'm anticipating Adam is going to make is it's actually good not to have control over the thinking and behaviors in your environment because that's developmentally important. 
and that the government schools offer a context for that, that some churches in privately run schools aren't going to have very easily. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I thought there, those are some, I thought that it'd be helpful to have Adam come in yeah. and share on that because though I'm, though I had, didn't utilize the public school system here in Madison and I'm kind of angry about that because of how much I financially supported it. Um, it, it utilizes in a very large and important function in our society. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, okay. So I think we can start with, with Adam, maybe giving us kind of like the overview. I, I mean, why do you support um, public schooling and why are you so involved in it? I know like you're pretty involved in the Madison public school district and you're a Christian. And so what kind of, what prompted that and, and what made you think that, Hey, I need to get involved in this. Um, I could probably go out a number of different ways um, that, uh, or experiences that have contributed to it. Um, I, uh, the youth mentorship program or youth ministry program that we led back in the day, um, I mean, we went from 12 to 125 students in seven months um, from almost all white church kids to almost all African-American students um, with no budget, not on a bus line, not in a residential neighborhood, no targeted outreach. And um, it really was just through mentorship. And uh, I always say we, we love well and um, we we're in many senses just ethnographers, like li- living amongst, um, being amongst them. They were amongst us. Um, went on vacations with us. Um, I wasn't smart enough to know anything different. And um, and then being allowed to to see um, up close and personal, specifically the African American community, and to be received. Um, by by these families, not just the students. Um, I, I saw um, I saw their experiences. I saw their I heard their stories, and the compassion um, uh, is I think a natural outflow of that. Um, and to see you know how education was um, going to be really the primary lever for any sort of. Uh, economic or social, like upper mobility, you know, out of uh, poverty, because uh, almost all, not all, but um, almost all of the uh, students in our youth group were, were low income. And um, and so uh, out of that um, mentorship uh, program um, and season of time, had some invitations to uh, come in uh, unsolicited by me uh, into the public schools uh, at that time to just come in and walk the halls and, and do some mentorship. And so I saw the need. And so I think as, as a Christian, uh, we have to first see people. Um, sometimes we talk these big theological doctrinal concepts and constructs, but um, I think foundationally, it's how do we see people? And uh, so to see people and to move towards people, uh, especially those who, who as I, I learned um, more and more, uh, and I'm still learning just the extent of the historical marginalization um, and all of the different um, policy dynamics that have contributed to um, what I think a lot of people call you know systemic racism nowadays uh, that... Um, I think for me, that's why I've stayed involved. And so um, it's, is, is it a perfect system? Uh, absolutely not. Um, and I think a lot of criticisms are, are, are valid. Uh, I, at the same time, as, as a Christian, if we keep people uh, front and center um, 
in metropolitan or urban centers uh, like Madison um, of this size, we that's still going to be the place where the highest concentration of your most historically marginalized communities are going to be. Um, and so how can I um, access in order to serve um, and offer whatever uh, privilege, resources, power uh, that I have and, and the networks I have um, to, uh, to just serve? So I think there's two, there's two areas just to break it down for clarity's sake that we might talk about. One is that Christian parents are responsible for the education of their children on some level and have to make decisions about what mechanisms of education they're going to use. Schooling is one possibility and government schooling, one subset of those possibilities. Right. Um, but then there's also the question of how the church is meant to be involved in the world in terms of making disciples and being good neighbors and so on. Um, can we start with that first one of um, Christ parents sending their kids to government schools? How do you think about how do you think about that? Because it's one thing to say Christian adults should go into our public schools and government schools and try to make things better. It's another thing to say that we should send our kindergartners there. So, are there ways in which you would be positive or make a positive argument for sending our children? to be um, to yeah um, f again to me it's it's always first and foremost uh, the, the access to our community right if I as uh, as a Christian uh, I as a pastor really love and care about uh, our community and believe God cares about our community um, that I, I can't take on even though I think many Christians sit in a lot of judgment um, of kind of where, where things are. Um, for me, I've, uh, I've had a love, uh, for the community. And, uh, I mean, even Abraham and God's kind of debate, you know, if, if there's, well, can you over Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, that if, if, if there's a few righteous, right, and they keep going back and forth and, and we see God's God's compassion. We see his, his forbearance. And I think Christians are, are not that forbearing. I don't think they see how God sees. Well, and so, we're yeah. not, we don't live in a culture as probably evil as Sodom and Gomorrah either. So we <laughs> right. have, there's less, there's, there should be more reason for us to be a little bit more compassion yep. and, and, and yep. just loving towards people. You know? Yep. So yeah. to me, it's, it's again, it's an opportunity to access our, our people, to be aware of where our community uh, is at um, in all of its breadth, right, of, of experiences. Um, and so to, um, to learn, um, learn those experiences so I can not just on the micro scale, but the macro scale uh, be part of, um, you know, I think discipling our own people, right, uh, to be impactful in, um, as disciples of Jesus, um, to love a community, to love a world well, that's, uh, I have to understand the context, right? All right. Well, I'll just tell people real quick that Nick isn't going to be, okay. So Nick just got a call. There's some flooding going on, um, at his mom's house. And so he's got a, he's got a, he's going to go take care of that and probably be back a little bit later on, but we're going to continue the conversation. So, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that's one, one piece. I, um, 
I also, uh, as from what I see in the scriptures, um, what I see uh, in Jesus, mm-hmm. um, we shouldn't be afraid. Yeah. Um, and I think Christians have far more fear of evil than they are persuaded of the power of good. Yes. Right. I've, and and we're, if we're to overwhelm uh, or overcome evil with good, um, then I have to trust mm-hmm. in the power of goodness mm-hmm. um, and, and generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also like when we talk education, that's also a pretty broad um, thing. I, I, yes, I think parents are uh, have a responsibility to be the, the primary educators of mm-hmm. um, of, of their children. Um, the uh, so I, I me sending my kids to the public schools is not to um, abdicate that responsibility. Yeah. Um, there are technical technical skill sets. Um, that I, and even just socialization, um, that I think, uh, they'll learn in a a diverse place, um, having certain social experiences, even at the young ages Mm -hmm. with people who are different than, um, now we are somewhat of an outlier, I suppose, because we, we, um, have social relationships with a very broad spectrum of people that are not all middle uh, middle class, you know, white America, yeah. uh, white Madison. Um, we have very, pretty much every ethnic ethnic group mm-hmm. um, yeah. that, that you can think of here uh, locally, and um, and so to for them to experience even that socialization, I think is is healthy. Yeah, I was gonna say I so one of the things I you know I generally speaking I I didn't have a great public school experience. But one of the things I'm always tell people that I'm thankful for in the public school is kind of what you're talking about is the like there there's a lot of different and I, I know I went to Wanaki, so it's like ninety-five percent white rich white kids. Okay, but but there was still, I mean, in any school with fifteen hundred kids, you're gonna get a, some amount of diversity. Um and even even different types of di- diversity. I mean, diversity isn't just race based, it's like personality based. It's 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 a bunch of different things. And so I think one of the things I'm thankful for is that, you know, if you're in a school of a thousand or five hundred or whatever, you have to you have to learn to navigate relationships and deal with different people. And I'm thankful for that because I think I think that's one of the arguments that we talked about in the last podcast about homeschooling is you don't want your kids to like we kind of like joked about it but like you don't want your kids to be weird and like socially unaware and unable to interact with the world and a lot of times that's what seems to happen with homeschool kids and so i was always really thankful for my experience in the public school that when i graduated and went into the into the real world or whatever i didn't feel like i had to like relearn everything i felt like okay i've I've learned a lot about relationships and how to navigate relationships how to negotiate how to like deal with people and so now i can go in into a job or into school or whatever i'm going to do next and and have a little bit of confidence and so i think you're right about that i think as far as the diversity of thought and, and thought and culture that you're talking about um well, i guess what are some pros and cons to that because i, I feel like on because you're you're involved in the public school so i think obviously you have a lot of pros, but I guess give us like a list of pros and then give us a list of cons and like, let's, let's run through them because I think that would be an interesting, interesting way to go about it from your perspective. I think the pros I, I, you know, 
kind of touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, you know, I'll just add to that, that I, I think here in, in America, the, with the American, especially our tradition with that kind of evangelical charismatic Pentecostal type of tradition, um, we have become domestically, we have become more monks than missionaries. Mm. Yeah. Uh, even though our movement has been globally more missionary than monk, yeah. and you're saying lo- but locally it's it's mo- more domestically, monk. yeah, yeah right. That like yeah. let's let's be separate, yeah. Um, whereas uh, as a movement and tradition mm-hmm. globally now, you know, today there there's a lot of um, critique of that where, where it's colonizing and things like that which mm-hmm. i think in some senses there, there's some validity mm-hmm. to it um where, where mission became colonizing it became all sorts of stuff but um i i think our movement globally has been missional domestically we've, we've been more monk and mm-hmm. withdrawing from culture yeah. And then we wonder why, like, then we just sit in judgment and, and finger point at culture mm-hmm. when we've withdrawn. Yeah. Um, and, and I also say, like, descriptionally, I, I am more um, fearful of, because when, when, when you do wrong, you know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know it's not fulfilling. Yeah. Your, your conscience is, is, uh, bears witness, mm-hmm. all right? Um, but re- the, when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and of Herod, um, we, we don't wrestle with that enough. I don't think we are being aware of yeah. um, those influences right. that I think sometimes numb us into a, a self-righteous posture or conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so we've, we've almost validated piety over the righteousness that comes through Christ, yeah. faith in Christ, yeah. right? So, um, and that's a vulnerability we feel. Mm-hmm. And when we have maybe historically been able to control um, certain outcomes mm-hmm. uh, on micro or macro scales mm-hmm. because of homogeneity or because, you know, there's a general Christian uh ethic obviously with still some perversions and dark uh like bad spots in our history right in, here in this country yeah. right okay. um and with native americans and and, and um african enslaved people right Asian um American, yep, yeah. the, <clears throat> so all of that um in 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 a lot of it done in the name of jesus right um so we we have to I think at least ad- admit that and be sober about our, our, our past and complicity. So do you think people to, have done that? Do you think, do you think people generally speaking, like the Christian church has been repentant I'd, or I guess, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, repentant or like acknowledging, Hey, we screwed up. Or do you think that there's still a lot of work to be done in that, in that area? Uh, I, I think that's, it's probably as broad as, as the current political debate. Right. Yeah. And, and um, I think there are a lot of, you know, conservative uh, political and Christian people who, who are still dismissive of some of that hmm. or, maybe they'll give us a, a, a passive acknowledgement 
Um, but then just, oh, let's just forget about it and sure. move on. That was a long yeah. time ago. And I think that that's not helpful yeah. um, <clears throat> in healing. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, and there are others who I think that, you know, a lot of uh, strong justice um, conversations and movements um, are, are being had in, in, in the church uh, across the spectrum uh, from mainline to, to um, conservative uh, groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, on the negative side, I, I mean, anytime you're dealing with people. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be problems. Yeah, right? right. And so, I mean, tell me one, one family uh, even within a uh, homogenous church right. that, that is, has it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just given an image. Right. And, and it's because any, any um, social interaction, like the expression of love is you have to give of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you are giving something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say this a lot in, in like premarital counseling too, that when Jesus says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. Mm-hmm. But if you lose yeah. it for my sake, you'll gain it. Yeah. That um, there is a cost. You're going to give something of yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you give it to another person, do you do you find you? Mm-hmm. Does the other person help in the um, reaffirmation mm-hmm. or the discovery of who you really are in Christ? Mm-hmm. Right, your your true self. Um, that um, to me, there, there's like we all give. I say that to just say we we give something up. Yeah. Um, in, in any love exchange yeah. uh, a love expression right like sacrifice is necessary yeah. yeah and so um so for to be in any social context uh i mean that's why all, all the introverts probably love the pandemic right? <laughs> they, they didn't yeah. have to give as much right. yeah. uh and they could kind of keep their peace yeah. um first were driven crazy <laughs> right. i can say that from experience right. yeah. yeah so so yeah to me i i i i think the, the uh, just that <laughs> reality of social interaction yeah. right is and, and socialization is it's going to cost you something right. but um the opportunity to learn these um, all of these people yeah. of every different identity every yeah. different persuasion mm-hmm. um they exist yeah and and as, as as christians can i help frame a foundational mm-hmm understanding and teach my children how to love people who are different than them because well i mean even in my generation um you know i know growing up once my generation started having a little bit more accessibility to college uh, four-year colleges Mm -hmm. uh it was a big talk about you know all this we're losing them right the 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 white evangelical church was like oh we're losing them Uh, as soon as they go to college they're getting indoctrinated by blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and i think we it's because we we've never we haven't really taught our children how to think. We've only taught them our Sunday what schools. Yep. yep. Our Sunday school yeah. uh, programs and everything is just, um, it's rope memorization. Yeah. Regurgitate this. Right. And yeah. this is this is true. The whole, and don't whole, question it. Like Awanas and things like that. I, I went through Awana. I finished all the books and everything like that. And by the time I was in high school, I was hooking up with girls. Like not a Christian. I mean, as far as you could see, I probably wasn't a Christian. And I think... This is like the big, I think this is the big question here as far as public school and public education goes. I think that's something because my wife and I are, we're having our first kid in November of this year. And obviously we're talking about like, where are we going to send him to school or what are we going to do here? And, and 
And I, you know, as people listening to this podcast know, and as I'll tell you now, I'm pretty like, I'm not sending my kids to public schools. I'm pretty hardcore on that. But I, because my, my dilemma here is what, what happens? So I, I think you're a hundred percent on, on the money when you say that like the church has in the last like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years just taught everybody, here's what you think. And as soon as somebody says, well, why they don't have really thorough answers. And that was what I struggled with as a kid. I was like, no, like, like, why do we say that we shouldn't like, uh, why do we say that sexual immorality is wrong? Why do we say that we can't have marriage or sex outside of marriage? A lot of it was sex based because I was a little boy, but I was a, I was a, I was a man. So I think, um, you know, the question I guess is, at what point are and, and Nick is back? It looks like everything went well. Okay. The question is: At, at what point is a is a kid or a young adult able to handle the pressures? Because I think, like, even if they do know the whys to the question, when they get into the to the public schools and they get into the universities, I mean, there's a lot of pressure from faculty, from students around them to hey, like in some ways to give up what they believe to be uh, fundamentally like core to their Christianity. And so I think that's kind of where the tension lies um, is do 20 year olds, 18 year olds, 19 year olds have the mental capacity to, to be like, this is what I believe and I'm not going to compromise on it. And I, I guess I'd be interested to hear and hear what you had to say about that. Can I get, can I get some context? We're, Cause we're talking about post high school now. Yeah, we're talking. Well, he met. Well, we mentioned, and I, I'm not. This isn't just post high school. I mean, I think it's also in high school. Like I, I experienced this in high school. It was really difficult for me to stick up for what I believed in. Because the argument we made last time for this audience was that the reason why sending your kids to government schools might be a really bad idea, if the education was Christian acidic, yeah. was because it was developmentally inappropriate, not because yeah. there were other ideas that they would be exposed to. Right. There's a, there's a context for, for that. Right. So like if we have, if we produce Christians at age 25 or 34, right. Um, we say, well, no, you we can't possibly interact with these ideas. That's, that's catastrophic and impossible and it's not biblical. Right. 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 But to say that a 14 year old or a, or a seven year old should be able to walk Mm -hmm. into a context Mm -hmm. where an educator is telling them, that this concept of little boys and little girls is arbitrary and so yeah. or, right or or like that they're being taught a version of critical race theory that is that is like a misunderstanding of mm-hmm. a misunderstanding of a misunderstanding that you pick up in an education class mm-hmm. that you don't really understand well and that then you recurate based on Ibrahim Kendi mm-hmm. right rather than like really good like scholarly falsifiable critical race theorization that mm-hmm. like um, Gloria Lassie Billings right. might do in her academic work. Like those are two very different things in some yeah. cases. And for a kid to be able to be like, to sort through that and be like, okay, here's yeah. where something like race preference is everywhere right. and is systematic. And here's how it affects other people. Yeah. And to grapple with that personally, right. as opposed to being told something else that is just much more simplistic. And for them to be able to take that part, I think is my argument is not Christian shouldn't Christian children shouldn't be uh, exposed to To other ideas ideas and experience diversity of, of ideas or cultures. My argument is it's developmentally inappropriate to think that younger children can go into these kinds of contexts and go through the process of discernment and especially with the increase of digitization. Right. So you have a quote worldly, what I would call worldliness to use just the biblical catch all of digital culture, which Mm -hmm. is discipling our kids. 
right? And mm-hmm. then you have a then you and then you have eight hours of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's categorically overwhelming. Yeah. Well, he was. I mean, so Adam those, those would be my two arguments. So right. I'm wondering. I'm wondering, like, because if Adam just said, "Hey, look, we live in a diverse world. We have to interact well, with different kinds of people," I'd be like, "Absolutely." He. I think you were more yeah. saying the the and you tell me if I'm totally wrong here, but that the. Christian church if throughout in American the last 50, 50 or 60 years has taught young people and kids like what to think rather than how to think or why to think these things. And um, that's the reason that when they go to the universities or when they go to the high schools that are heavily let's say progressive and mm-hmm. don't believe the like in like Orthodox Christianity that they end up walking away more because they don't know they actually don't understand what they're thinking. And I don't, I don't totally disagree with that. Like, I think that was somewhat my experience in high school. That's a portion of it. I think. Yeah. And so, and, and I guess the question then ends ends up being, I think that's a holdover of people believing they live in a Christian or Christian compatible society educationally. I agree with that. That Because like, if you like, for example, if I send my kids off to church, I don't say, don't let them brainwash you. Because I go to that church. I expect what they teach there to be compatible with what I teach my kids. So I don't have a defensive or what I I would consider a minority practice relationship. Now, minority practice, that phrase could mean different things, Mm -hmm. even in this conversation. Mm -hmm. When I say minority practice, I'm thinking of like Jews Mm -hmm. in America, where there's certain practices they do to keep their their subculture together, Mm -hmm. to keep their ethnic identity and their religious identity in the midst Mm -hmm. of recognizing they're going to be a P and a C. Yeah of otherness. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I don't do that when I send my kids to church Yeah, because there's compatibility. And so for a long time in American history, there was compatibility with, with Christianity doctrinally Mm -hmm. and familial and individual ethics Mm -hmm. generally Mm -hmm. within the public school system. I think, now I think Adam would argue, yes, and oblivious to systemic racism and racial preferences. There's other areas of what ethics, which are inherently mm-hmm. Christian because mm-hmm. anything ethical is Christian because it relates to God and the yeah. Christian and truly ethical. Right. So like you could argue that insights from like the places where progressivism has been correct, like certain things relative to, to gender um, in terms of like women being able to make choices mm-hmm. relative to their lifestyles yeah. and like things relative to racial preference or so on. Mm-hmm. I think like those areas would be, would have been areas of blind spots, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. the idea that like a general sexual ethic, a general yeah. way you should treat other people. Right. Even when people didn't treat people that way, like vice mm-hmm. had to pay a certain tribute to virtue and there was a certain kind of agreement. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that people are struggling with right now is, is that, so I think one of the reasons why, why Christians taught people what to think, not how to think yeah. was teaching people how to think is much more important as a culture. You could say diversifies, or you could say fragments depending on your perspective. Mm-hmm. When like, when like a core of agreement goes away, which isn't just the reality that like we have more ethnicities living together in cities. It's also the issue of like, you know, th- when I was a kid, there were basically three stations people watched and everybody right. watched the same sitcom the night before. Right. Right. Don't you think at some point though, like wh- whether you do, like if you're teaching people what to think, like no matter what culture you're in, to some extent, these are going to be fra- like shallow people intellectually they're going to be idea like ideological people who just are in their in their tunnel vision like yeah but that's also 80 percent of human beings yeah but like, we don't like w- like adam and i are in like less than 10 yeah. percent of educated people where yeah. we're like trying to figure out the epistemology and the reason people are thinking what they're yeah. thinking why they're thinking it and how that functions yeah like 
one of the one of the difficulties of being above average in education or intelligence or any of these things is you have you just don't know yeah. what it's like to not be that. Well, as it relates and to like most most kids and most adults, yeah, have no interest in understanding their epistemology and what they think. They don't really want to fool with that. Do you think they don't have an interest because? that like it's whatever they're like born that way or something like that or is it because of the education system and because of what they grew up in i i, I tend to think that like the reason i didn't care at all about anything by the mm -hmm. time i was 18 years old was because i was taught to not really care about anything or i was taught yeah. here's what you should think about things and that'll just get you through life rather than then once i started to open up once i came to church and like i started being questioned and hey here what do you think about this or that it opened up a whole new avenue for my brain, I'd say. And I just started to like really dig deep into different things. And mm -hmm. now figuring out why people think and all this stuff is really interesting. I, I think as far as education, as this all relates to education. Um, yeah, there's been a good bit of discussion over kids. the years about whether or not an education system like we have that was in some ways modeled on, on like German Bismarckianism, like makes sense in this culture. Right. There's, there's, a, there's been a good bit of discussion about that. Yeah. That like our... Our, our education system in its generalities mm -hmm. was structured around industrial human life. Yeah. Right. And Factory. so, right. And so yeah. schools like Montessori right. schools have tried to break that up a little bit to like yeah. have curiosity led education, yeah. you know? And I, for me, that's educa that's educational theory, which is a, which is a area of intellectual interest and practical yeah. interest. But what I think, I think I want to agree with, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in Adam's mouth because I don't know that he would say it is the reason, mm -hmm. right? I do think it's true that a lot of churches are teaching kids what to believe and not how to think. But remember, the average IQ of an American pastor is 100. The average amount of education the average American pastor has had is Bible college or less, right? That's so still there's more a than huge, most people There's a huge it. difference between a PCUSA church where a pastor has 96 graduate hours in theology yeah. and your average charismatic church or fundamentalist church where they were given like an overhead projector and a Bible and blessed to go out and do the ministry. And so I, I think Adam would agree with this because yeah. I think one of the churches, the church he was a part of, I think that that minister like didn't have the benefit of a seminary education. And so he wasn't interacting. Like you I, have to, you almost have to go to seminary and do prolegomena. Sure. That is like, what are the problems of thinking theologically and how do they relate to the world or take a contextualization class before you even really have the tools to really understand what you're doing? Unless you just, I as mean, far I as think Adam kind of looked it up off the ground yeah. because he was of Asian descent, raised by white parents in the city, reaching yeah. black kid. Like, as he said, he was like, he was like an ethnographer mm -hmm. by accident yeah. almost. Yeah. And I, I think that that forces you into a certain There's amount gotta of There's got to be an argument though for in the United States. Yeah, maybe not everybody can go get their master's or whatever, but or go get a degree or biblical studies degree or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you have an incredible amount of resources. You have a bunch of like books. You have the internet. You have a yeah. bunch of theologians at your fingertips. Like well, if you if you're a pastor who's like extremely ideological and just tells everybody what to think and not why or how yeah. in America with all the resources that we have, in some ways, I think that that's that also might be just a somewhat lazy. Yeah. I mean, Charles Taylor is right when he says that the public, the public square is now contested, not just yeah. because of racial diversity, but because of secularity, right? Secularity creates yeah. a public square that's contested. Everything's up for argument yeah. and there's no assumption in the world has been quote disenchanted. Right. Yeah. That's all true. Yeah. I think that my issue is, is that 
one of the one of the so the question the question I'm trying to, we're trying to get obliquely here is is it a good idea for Christians to send their kids to the government schools developmentally? Like, yeah, exactly. and my argument is if I'm going to say no, which of course I do say no because I didn't send my kids to public yeah. schooling, right? Though I've utilized like I'm sending my kids to MATC, which is a publicly provided college, right? For what? For like high school stuff? Yeah. So my no. my 17 year old is going to go to MATC because I trust that education more than I do the K to 12 education. Interesting. And I think she's more ready for it because it's more anyway, the point, the point is, is that it's one thing to say we haven't taught our kids. We've taught our kids what to think, not how to think. Now I think that's a, that's worthy of a whole podcast Yeah, because catechesis, Mm -hmm. just telling them what to think, I think has been a complete and total failure. Yeah. I don't think we've even, and I think Adam probably agree with this. We haven't even really taught them what to think. We've taught them a few things of what to think. And that's it. Right. We were so, talking about like Awanas. Yeah. Like in some ways you just like memorize a bunch of Bible verses. And then the, the people tell you whenever you run into trouble, we use one right. of these Bible verses. And it's like you go to school and like a girl is like, hey, you want to have sex? And you're like, for God to love yeah, the for God's world. The way you like go throw, ye into all nations yeah. and make the sun. <laughs> right. You toss John 316 and she's like, okay, all right, I, I let's not have sex. Like that, that's yeah. not what happens. That That's... But I think develop. I think I want to ask you. Let you give you an opportunity to answer the developmental question, right? Because that's my objection. Yeah. My right. objection is, if you take a twelve-year-old and you yeah. put them in a system right. that has its own catechesis, that right. has its own priesthood, that has, right? right, and they're forming your kid for eight hours a day. Yeah. The the familial discipleship of that, the psychological effect, is yeah. overwhelming. Right. And I don't. I don't think you can teach them at home. Yeah. Or in the church and at home. In such a way yeah. as to reliably overcome the counter catechesis of the of the quote world, if that is the main ideological system of the government schools, which it appears to me that it is. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think developmentally? Is it appropriate to send your kid, your Christian children? Let's say you. I mean, non Christian is a different conversation, but like your Christian children or kids that you want to be Christian. Um, is it developmentally okay to send them to the public schools? I think, I think at the bottom, at, at the, I was going to ask this and, and then Nick came in, but I think it all comes down. I was going to ask about like some of the things that are being taught, like as far as like uh, LGBTQ plus and some of the sexual things that are being taught in the public schools, especially in Madison. I mean, it's, it's, that's how, I mean, Madison is one of the more progressive cities and, should we, yeah, I guess developmentally, is that, is that something that we should introduce our kids to in kindergarten for a second grade? So when I think of like brain development um, and that reinforcing the necessity for real parenting, <laughs> right? Uh, we're the ones shaping um, the the foundational um, paradigms um, and and values and definitions uh, for our children. Um, I still have more hours with my kids than a school. About the number of hours, uh, I, I still, if I manage my relationship with my kid, um, and I think that's where we, We've done poor, and I mean, 
you've done probably a lot of pastoral counseling uh, with, with parents and trying to engage uh, with, with their kids and parenting tips and all that sort of stuff. It, it's, um, I feel like it's my responsibility as a parent to shape my children. So as pastors, how do we shape parents um, so they can parent well? Um, f- first and foremost, building the relationship regardless of, I mean, and this is why, like, you know, we, we get in all these um, dilemmas o- over parents kicking their, their teenagers out of the home because they, mm-hmm. they found drugs or they um, had sex or they were got to go pregnant or they are uh, identifying as LGBTQIA, whatever, right? And, and so when we've, uh, as, as a Christian church, Big C Church, have this history of just all, uh, I mean, we, to me, we started cancel culture. <laughs> um, we, we kicked them out of our home. We've kicked them out of our churches. And so what do we, what do we expect people to do in exile? And well, but, okay. But I think that's a specific subset. Maybe that's, I think maybe something, some stuff that you've experienced, Adam, but like, that's not what I'm seeing at all as a pastor over the last 12 years in Madison. What I'm seeing is parents that are trying to be super understanding, highly engaged parents who are having family devotions with their kids, who are talking to their kids regularly and who, when those kids hit adolescence and their differentiation begins in like the psychological structure of adolescence, when they're starting to think more in terms of themselves as like and unlike their peers, as opposed to their parents, um, they are psychologically overwhelmed by what they're meant to conform to in that the, in that the government schools aren't just a place where you get taught LGBTQIA plus ideology right? It's, it's not like they're interacting with, with LGBTQ people. There is a warp and woof to the whole ideological spectrum. Like the assumption of, for example, um, expressive individualism is in everything, right? A certain context of communitarianism is in everything. A certain idea about the right kind of secularity is in everything. And the, the student can't really say, oh, that's, that's like, intentionally irreligious scientific secularity as opposed to mystically enhanced like, like they can't do any of that epistemology right all they know is they're in a context where everything is this way which is being of course reinforced by tiktok and youtube and all the well, and they if they know to. it if they know if in in their brains if they they feel no, like something's off rejected. yeah if they like i remember when i was in high school and i like okay um i had a teacher, my biology teacher, for some reason we were talking about climate change in biology class. I don't know why, but we, we she was bringing up uh, well, man's climate change affects the entire biosphere of the planet. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, so, seemed, it seemed ideological in that moment, maybe. Yeah. And so what we were talking about man-made global warming and I just, you know, and maybe I was being a little jerk or whatever, but um, <laughs> I raised my hand and I was like, I think man-made global warming is like democratic propaganda. And I, yeah, I was probably being a jerk and my teacher was like, okay, and I thought this was a fantastic thing that she did. She's like, okay, look, if you can find me one, um, one paper or article written by one scientist, an actual scientist that doesn't believe in man-made global warming, I will distribute this to the entire class to like all, all the people in your grade and we'll go through it as a class and we'll see if it's accurate or not. I'll have everybody read it. And I was like, 
Okay, that's awesome wow. because that's it gives me an opportunity to like actually prove whether or not I I I'm correct about what I said. And so And she's showing she has scientific standards. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. She's she's making me go some and somewhat to do an experiment and figure out what I think. And so I go home and and I, I tell my dad and we're like, all right, well, let's do some research. Let's go on the internet, let's read some books. And so, you know, we go and we find that um, there was 1000 different international scientists um, from around the world who presented uh, presented this to the Supreme Court uh, that like man-made global warming wasn't legitimate and there's like 500 pages that they had all written each scientist had their own kind of like excerpt of, it wasn't scientifically decisive i think was their argument right that you yeah. couldn't prove that it was the case right because, yeah exactly yeah and it was it was to the supreme court it was real scientists it was meteorologists it was people who who they know climate they, they understand this stuff and mm -hmm. um and so we kind of we joke about it now because we went to walgreens and bought a ton of paper because we had to print this whole thing out it was 500 pages paper and ink and we printed that sucker out all night and i i was kind of proud of it so i, I brought it to school and i i brought it to the teacher and i was like look here's 500 pages here's a thousand different scientists like if you don't want to show this to the whole class like we don't have to it's 500 pages that's fine i just want to bring this to you and it was kind of a big event because and it was over study hall and everybody went to the class to see what happened and she like flipped through a couple pages and then she looked at me in front of the class she was like this doesn't have enough graphs and threw it in the garbage and it was like one of the most humiliating i it was humiliating and i was very like confused i was 14 years old and i was like i thought that she was going to stay true to her word and i think at that point for me personally i had a, a turning point where i was like I at that point couldn't have described what I was feeling because I was 14. I didn't understand a lot it was of things. Like, you're not operating in good faith toward me. Yeah. I felt yeah. like I felt cheated in a lot of ways. And I felt like that it wasn't, I wasn't being educated anymore. I felt like this was that they had some sort of um, plan for me and they weren't going to let me have a say in, in what that plan was. And so I think in a lot of senses or like kind of what, to what Nick's saying is I don't, I don't know if kids even have the, I didn't have the mental capacity or ability to even articulate what I was feeling in that scenario. And if I would have tried, I think right. I would have just You're got just shut gonna down. You're just going to internalize the psychological rejection. Yeah. And that is enforced right. by the authority figure of the teacher and the corporate affirmation of the students, Yeah, which tends to be a dumbing down effect, right? Students, yeah. Uh, so this, the student feel is don't rock the boat, don't right. change Do, things. Yeah. How yeah. Many, so like the the point. So let me just put a period on that and then let yeah. Adam respond to it. So like as I've pastored this church for twelve years, like you know how I preach. Like I preach pretty, pretty academic. Pretty yeah. like um, here's why we believe this. Here's the argument for it. We have like extensive educational stuff, and people have access to like an enormous amount of educational stuff. Usually give like an argument against against things. Yeah, too. I'll actually do like yeah. culturally deconstructive apologetics in my sermon for ten or twelve minutes, like most weeks. Mm -hmm. The parents in our churches who have had their kids in government schools are seeing like a ten percent or five percent retention rate of them being professing believers, and we're seeing something like a. This is something of a guess. But judging by some things that I'm seeing without getting too specific, a 12%, maybe 12 to 15% LGBTQIA identification of students. Interesting. And oh, and most of it is non-binary, not gay huh. or trans. Um, Here at the church? 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They're in one grade in one gender. Everybody, what one person in the small group identifies as some form of LGBTQI. And like, it's so obviously contagion, cultural contagion. That makes sense. Like those kids aren't all non-binary. Yeah. They're just coping with the fact that to be straight at school is embarrassing. Yeah. And if you can be at least non-binary... Right. Then that means you're you are you can open minded in an yeah. essentialist kind right. of way. And you can and you can just the, read it all like I've had conversations with these students and you can just read it all over them. They're terrified. Yeah. They like on a visceral level hmm. to what I mean, I know some of the African American leaders talk about trauma. Like our kids have experienced trauma from racism. Hmm. Um I'm seeing what I think are the same psychological effects in hmm. like religious children. Yeah. That they're experiencing psychological trauma. Yeah. Not just from the public schooling system. Right. But also by their inappropriate and developmentally, well, developmentally abusive or inappropriate relationship to digital culture as well. Yeah. And that that is producing a psychological milieu where we're seeing depression, mental illness, mm-hmm. go off the charts for American young people. But, but what we're seeing is for Christian kids, is it like, I don't think it's reasonable to think psychologically, developmentally, that if we just parent them well and we have robust churches, that they'll just be fine. Like, like I, I've tried to believe that I wanted to believe that, like I wanted, I wanted to be a professor in public colleges because I was like, we need to engage. I'm from the evangelical tradition of Carl F. H. Henry, which is we have to engage. You can't not engage. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can't send your kid to UCLA, then ultimately we'll, we will be backwater fundamentalists. But at the same time, I watch our families put their kids in these schools and they get back little Romans instead of little Christians. And it is, yeah. it, I watch it overwhelm students. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you get one that is disagreeable enough mm-hmm. to be like F you to the whole system. Like you were yeah. and you're usually like a jerk about it. Cause there's no way to be like, like, um, sophisticated right. about it, but it has, and they make it, uh, but yeah. like, it's well, like they one out of 10 or 20. Yeah. They barely make it and they make it in a way that there was other. Yeah. I had a F you attitude, but it affected me in negative ways and many other negative ways the plausibility structures of secularity and like reductive individualism and expressive individualism are still so baked into your psyche because everything everywhere assumes it that you get to like 22 and you have some problem at church and all of a sudden your faith quote doesn't make sense anymore and you start quote deconstructing your faith because it's just not plausible like your mental structures just go this can't be all the presuppositions and you have no idea that this was done to you by people who yeah. were catechizing you socially yeah. years before. And I just, I lost my patience for playing this game. Yeah. Adam, that's where I'm coming from. That's why I'm so negative about it. And like, I'm willing to say to our adults, look, you need to go into the public schooling system and you need to help kids read yeah. and do math that are not, that are struggling and don't send your kids there. Like that's my, I, I yeah. my, like if I could quote fix things, I would just say money should follow kids. Parents should make decisions. We should disband the entire government school system. In three years, everything will reorder itself. And we'll have schools that will all be based on ideas of how to educate children. And Clean Care will have all the money he needs. Mm-hmm. And the people who have innovative ideas will have all the money. Like Adam could start his own school and have right. all the money he needs. Right. And Each kid will have around, like, could have yeah, around $10,000. That's, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. We, should, we need to let Adam on. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think we're like we're we're still speaking though, and and really, and I'm also I admit I'm a really simple person, and I want everything from me foundationally to be about love, and 
what I hold foundational to my faith is the reality of a resurrected Christ who is still present with us. And um, all of the other creedal kind of um, doctrinal sorts of things w within Christianity, uh, I mean, obviously we've debated that for generations, <laughs> right? And, and, and wrestle with, with that. Um, and so I think we were, we're making some really broad statements and generalizations. And, and I think within every uh, kind of social category or identity, like there, there's, there's the nuance, like there is no monolithic, um, um, what are some of the what are some of the uh, broad like broad state like let, uh, let's break down some of the things that maybe we said that or that Nick um, said was more of a broad yeah I, I generalization th yeah I think yeah. When, when we we get so consumed with non-Christian mm -hmm. um, to me my focus is more on challenging the Christian like I was was telling you, I think when Nick was gone, right? Like I'm I'm more concerned with what Jesus says. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod. I don't know the other leavens mm -hmm. that like we should really be aware of um, than than those things because a little leavens the whole lump. So that's where what why I challenge my Christian peers and clergy peers much more and. Mm -hmm. and because um, otherwise we kind of can create this like self-righteousness that is somehow separate from Christ and it's because of our supposed doctrinal purity I'm superior to whatever other another sect and tradition or denomination of Christianity or um, non-Christians other faith right um, you when, think that's wrong like you think it's wrong to be I, I'm trying to Clarify in yeah. my head. Do you think it's wrong to be uh, like I don't know? Like I, I, if I'm like a Baptist and I'm like this is the the way this doctrine is the doctrine premillennial like yeah. rap like pre-trib rapture like that whatever you know, like, yeah I think is yeah because my is it wrong to have a, your denom is it wrong to have like a, th a theology that you I, think I is think, better than everybody else? I, I, I think everybody has has perspectives. Yeah, um, we don't we don't do we're, we're too I think binary. I think we're too dualistic and, and, oh. and it has to be this way and, and yeah. all others are wrong right. rather than like, and I've appreciated this about Nick over, over the years, like he can, he can argue another side. Yeah. He has his own opinions right. where, and where he may land on certain things. Um, but he'll at least acknowledge the other side yeah. in, in this evangelical tradition. Um, that's not very common. We're very dogmatic yeah. and it's only this. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so to me, it, everyone's going to have opinions, you know, uh, spouses are going to disagree, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, parents and children are going to disagree on stuff. Yeah. Um, and so to me, agreement is not like the foundational thing. It's, it's really like to me, and this is how I think we, I define love. Like it's really to, uh, at a foundational level, it's knowing and being known. 
And like the first relationship we see in scripture, Adam and Eve, Adam knew Eve and she conceived and born. Like there's an intimate knowing of one another. And I'm, I'm bearing myself to you and I'm trusting you to respond to mm. that knowledge of me. Um, and, and my vulnerability or in my strength. So you're mm. affirming or you're covering mm. and, and, and uh, being sensitive to whatever vulnerable like knowledge I gave you. And, and so to me that foundationally, everyone wants to be known. Yeah. And so however someone is identifying or whatever certain belief they have on something, this is what I was saying, like even within the LGBTQIA plus community, um, they're not all monolithic and, and, and they have, there, there are nuances within like the beliefs, mm-hmm. right. Even about each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a whole, they're, they're arguing for, like, can we be viewed as human beings? Um, and the hum- humanization, I mean, like, and this is why when so many Christians are, 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 um, would, would come across as being so homophobic or transphobic, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, if you're a certain um, sexual ethic or, or belief on, on those uh, those gender identities, et cetera, and expressions, if if you have a, a traditional like conservative like view on that, it, does that mean you're supportive of say what's happening in Africa, where like let's just kill people who are gay, lesbian, or, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And, and I'm like, I I don't know many Christians who have come out and said that. And, and so, um, to me, it, it's, uh, we, when we speak in these really broad or all black people or all white people, all Christians, all, mm-hmm. and, and that's why so many of them are against us <laughs> as just identifying as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, or we, we, we don't know how to think beyond just our partisan lines politically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm just a a party line voter. Well, you're not thinking about the issues and there, there ought to be some, some nuance that you, in your thinking mm-hmm. and conversation about some of these things, regardless of how you end up voting at the end of the day. Yeah. And so to me, like, cause at prim- primarily we have to love one another. Um, if, if we really are pro-life, <laughs> like I can't just kill everybody who or, like, or yeah. I mean like solitary confinement like that that's a punishment mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and so like I, I can't like it's not good for man to be alone mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so how do I still maintain relationship with people who are different and, and to me like when 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 Jesus or when the, when the psalmist says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies mm-hmm. like the table is always like re- representing this reconciliation like experience, right? Um, Mephibosheth being carried to the table of, of David. It's a reconciliation with the house of, of Saul and Jonathan. Right? Um, and so with, when Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. To me in my heart, with everybody who disagrees with me, whether it's they're Christian or not Christian, mm-hmm. um, can I sit at a table with yeah, that. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Mm-hmm. He ate with the other. Mm-hmm. He prepared a table of reconciliation. What second Corinthians five, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, God was in Christ reconciling the world yeah. to himself by not counting their sins against them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where my heart posture has mm-hmm. to get to. 
Um, if I, I stay in these really big kind of pop debates uh, over all these issues, um, I, I lose then the person. And I, I contribute to the marginalization or the harm of people who they need a lot of love. Yeah. And, and, and so to me, it's not helpful. Um, and that's why for me, I, I, I foundationally, how can I allow a person to be known mm -hmm. and to be safe with me? To be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I trust, like I was saying earlier, yeah. I trust the power of goodness. Mm -hmm. um, and me, me being charismatic Pentecostal, I trust the incognito expression of gifts of the Spirit, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. To um, enable or, or give a person an experience where they feel known, not just by me, but of, by God yeah. and loved. And then I trust. Just, I mean, the whole Pentecostal tradition is God happened to you mm -hmm. <laughs> and something changed you. And, and, and can I, and, and love is patient. Mm -hmm. So I have to have that. Like if love suffers long, like there is a suffering for me that I may have to endure. Because um, love, as we were talking earlier too, mm -hmm. love costs me something. Yeah. And so I just think we're not matured in love. Um because we always have a yeah, but, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and then it's like, oh, there, are, there shouldn't be some foundational agreements that, you, and then it's like, well, what are those foundational agreements? And yeah. that's, well, why, why do we have so many Christian denominations? <laughs> right. yeah. and, and so to me, it, it's, it just gets really messy. Would you say that the, the, what you just said, would you say that that is a statement that you would put parallel to the arguments I was making? Or would, do you think of it as like an answer because like the stuff that you said, I, I don't think I disagree with anything that you said, but I also wouldn't consider it relevant in a sense of like refuting what I said. I think what I, what I hear you saying is, Nick, what I'm really concerned about is when we think about what you're saying, it produces in us a posture of combativeness and self-righteousness. And that produces nothing good. That's what I like. That's what I'm hearing you say. And I, I think I a hundred percent agree with that. You think that like combativeness is not I, good. I think when you try to defend people, especially in like a debate kind of context where like ideas and yeah. and policies and practices are being discussed. Yeah. It's very hard to defend without being defensive. Knowledge yeah. puffs up. Right. Love edifies. Yeah. Especially if you feel like you're a minority. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially if you feel like you're not being listened to. And mm -hmm. also one of the things that's important to recognize is that publicly in American life, we have moved to like a, what some people, some sociologists have called a post truth culture mm -hmm. that if you, if we talk to people who are in public advocacy and public ideas and yeah. so on and policy, for the most part, they have migrated to views of all public actions or actions of power. Mm -hmm. And so you could tell me you're like making an argument, but you're not, you're really trying to take power because there's a certain oh, amount of power yeah, and control right. and you're trying to get some of it. Right. And so like we, people talk about like mansplaining or mm -hmm. like white splaining or whatever. It's just, yeah. it's just like, you're just trying to make, you're not really making an argument. You're right. just trying to keep your power is all right. you're doing. Right. Yeah. As a Christian believer, like I see the hypocrisy in that, right? Like I see that like people want to say that to me as like a bracket me out as a mm -hmm. white man. I also see that that's what they want to do when they have the authority to take power in a public school system. And they're talking to me as a religious believer mm. who is now a minority in that subcontext. And they're just trying to like 
secular spleen to me Mm -hmm. and then devour my children ideologically. So like when, when Adam says love is the dynamic of knowing and being known, having the capacity to be vulnerable with another and to be embraced by that other. I think that is a, is a irreducible part of the definition of love, but that is not in any sense, the classical historical Christian definition of love. It would also include the commitment of the will and action of the self to the true good of another. Right. And so when a Christian says, how do I act towards the true good of my own children who've come from my own body that I have a special stewardship responsibility over? What is the commitment of myself to their true good in their formation relative to being educated? And I think that that could include not subjecting them to some things. Mm hmm. Right. And so if government schools are in a preponderance doing certain things, whatever I put my children to, I'm subjecting them to. And I have to ask myself, is this in their true good? Mm-hmm. Is this going to help them be the kind of person that can love the way Adam says? Because mm-hmm. if I send my kid into a place where everything's about power and that's what they learn in the warp and woof of everything that's being done, it's mm-hmm. all about power. It's all about who's getting power, mm-hmm. who is like, like trying to get some of it so that they're not marginalized. Yeah. Everybody's terrified to be marginalized and everybody's mm-hmm. trying to be in the middle and everybody's scraping and fighting and biting to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And pretending like they're civilized when they're not. Mm-hmm. Is my kid that like grows up and is formed in that going to be better at being vulnerable with another person and receiving another person intimately? Or are they going to be infinitely worse off through the trauma that's created and the extremely bad example that they're experiencing? Or are they going to be better? I think my question when you talk about love. So like I agree. So I'm trying to reset. I agree with everything that you said. And I don't know how it would refute anything I said. So I like, cause I, I feel that like I, I've seen, I, I noticed this listening to a Jordan Peterson video recently that since like he, he, I don't know, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? He's like a public intellectual psychologist. Okay. When I discovered him in my sabbatical six years ago, I was listening to his personality lectures at the university of Toronto. Oh. They were fantastic. It was extremely helpful. The stuff, when he said, I will not be told what I can and can't say by the government. I was a hundred percent excited. Since he's joined the daily wire, he just sounds angry to me. Mm. Like he's like, there's like a pointedness at like everything he says and he's yeah. like kicking your, he's like, and I'm like, no, Jordan, the cool thing about you was that you were completely in control of yourself while people were attacking you yeah. and you were able to be even mm-hmm. playful with them. Right. Mm-hmm. But even Jordan Peterson, after six years of this, seems like he's losing his handle on not being angry. And I've seen that in my yeah. tone as a preacher. They're like when I was reading a lot of Tim Keller and just getting going, I was like really open and like, Wah. and then I saw the kids of our church being constantly devoured by the city. And in digital culture mm-hmm. and what, no matter what we do, it didn't seem to do it. And I'm not one of those people who argue that, well, what's most important is you believe that we're pre-mill, like pre-trib, like that's not yeah. what I do at all. Yeah. But like, it's impossible in my view to go to the new Testament and think that, for example, sexual ethics are a place where we don't have to agree. Yeah. Now Adam's right. You don't have to agree with a non-believer. Right. But within the body of Christ, there's, if you read the new Testament, I don't see any way to read the new Testament Mm -hmm. to not believe that a Christian agrees on certain ideas Mm -hmm. relative to human sexuality and sexual ethics to certain ideas relative to race and ethnicity and inclusion. I don't like, I don't think you can be a Christian and just say that Ephesians two is debatable or Galatians one, those things about inclusion and belonging and the universality of the human family within the cultural distinctives of our 
experience experience dynamics are non-negotiables mm-hmm. because if you if you don't believe in some in those basic ideas about sexuality and ethnicity you aren't acting in the true good of another so you mm-hmm. can say well i want to have an intimate relationship with you but if right. you're not acting in the other person's true good you're not acting in the accords of real intimacy which is to give oneself to the good of another right mm-hmm. and so i agree with adam but the part of the issue is here is like i'm trying to embody the result of his critique this is why Adam and I have had some interesting conversations over the years. Mm-hmm. The thing he says, let's not be that. I've been spending my whole career trying not to be that guy and I'm not getting substantially better results. Mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to say, I don't, I just don't think you can give yourself, your kids to the overwhelming wave of secularism, either in digital technologies or in right. most of the government schooling. I think yeah. it's, I think it's unloving towards your children i was gonna ask you know so that's that's my frustration because yeah. and I, I say that in full agreement with what adam said yeah yeah no i was gonna ask you after that i think like to your point about love being part of love being to to know fully know and to then fully be known and i would say like ultimately um to fully know god and then to fully be known by god at the end of the day i think the the bottom line question as far as education and child development goes is is do the public schools um i don't know what the right word here would be like do they empower or do they give children the opportunity to fully know god and to for god to fully know them and or or at least be educated yeah with a capacity to do it to do that yeah i and i i, I want to hear what you have to th- what you think on on that because i mean i, I just what do you think <laughs> obviously that's it's interesting i mean i'm just I'm, I'm wondering because i think i don't i don't think you're i like nixon i don't think you're wrong about any of this stuff and even about like sitting at a table across like from somebody who you completely disagree with like that being one of the the end goals for christians too is is awesome and i think that christians have lost that spirit the the spirit of of conversation and debate in a lot of ways to go and talk to somebody who they totally disagree with um but how do we get our kids to that point to like love god and fully be loved by god um developmentally because we know that like four-year-old like you probably when you were maybe i might be wrong about this but like when you were like 10 or 12 you probably didn't have the full understanding of of God and his love and scripture and, and, and the beauty of Christ that you do now, that gives you, that kind of gives you more tolerance for, for conversations that might be more difficult or that might, might have previously made you want to leave or walk away from people. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, if the question is, can, can an institute, impersonal institution, um, help kids know God? No. Um, I, no more than the institution of the church. It's the people. Like the real church is, is, is the people. And, and so to me, where, where are people? And, and people can make impact anywhere they are, in any industry, in any institution. Um, a good person in a bad system can still fruit what do you mean by impersonal the The institution and that's why i was trying to understand your question right like was your question can a government school help kids know god no 
<laughs> well, can they set the framework? Because I think there was some confusion that I had coming out of the public schools. I mean, um, even, even if you said, can a government school not be acidic to the faith of students? Yeah, or just like teach natural law. I don't know. Like th- things that are going to like they aren't technically biblical, but then when you when you know the full the natural understanding of how the world works you read scripture it's going to be much in my opinion more it's going to be easier for you to understand scripture because it lines up with the things that you see around you rather than what what i think is being taught now um it's like postmodernism and expressive individualism that kind of is like which is effectively a form of transhumanism yeah which is by definition not a natural theology and it's hard for then it's hard for me to like if i if i have that presupposition to then to read the bible is really confusing and makes me want to reject it because i because it's like i all the things i learned for the past 18 years this thing's telling me that that's all wrong like i don't think so and by the time you're 25 your brain is like fully developed and it's going to be hard for your to you to change your mind on a lot of things, you know. So that's kind of what I meant by that question. Rather, not not like should the public schools be like teaching kids the Bible? More like should they be teaching things that are going to be um, helpful for kids to understand the natural world around them? Therefore, Christians send their kids to that school, and maybe they have a better framework for when we want to share the gospel with those kids when maybe they're older and able to understand it. Uh, Again, I think so much, uh, yes, there are kind of broad curriculum decisions or or adoptions that um, are going to be uh, across the, you know, a whole school district. But to me, the, the real impact is always going to be the teacher. Um, I mean, it, it's why, like, when, when I went to UW, to meet a, a UW professor in this, the zoology department who was a Christian but was also believing in, in evolution, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with that because my childhood... Um, indoctrination did not allow for that, even though I was taught it in my own biology class in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Biology and AP biology. Um, so you learn it for the test, um, but yet uh, it, it was largely dismissed, right, in, in my heart or in, as a belief system. But then to come to college and, and see, here, here's a professing Christian, devout in, in, in his faith. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, and he believes this, and, and the earth is this many billions of years old, and, and all. Um, I didn't ha- I didn't know how to process that, mm-hmm. and my parents wouldn't have known how to like help me process mm-hmm. it. They would have been dismissive of it too, yeah. and so. Um, to, uh, to me, like. What what did we do with that? <laughs> and so now, how do we do that? And I know Nick, you're um, you're very passionate about like the sexual ethic stuff, mm-hmm. um, but like uh, even in my childhood, if you're divorced, you're you're ex- excluded from the community almost, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you're you're blacklisted from yeah. so many opportunities. So to me, like each generation has wrestled with things from from academia like evolution um or or in the church like 
divorce and all. And so I think we, we're wrestling with all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why I still fall back on the foundational stuff mm-hmm. because it, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, give it, you, find it, you but, fall back on the foundational stuff? Help me understand what that means. Uh, on the just like oh, you're saying that's what you insist on, right? right okay. And so that way we can, as relationship and trust is built, we can get into the nuance of why a, a child or young adult why they are starting to believe certain things about themselves, mm-hmm. right? And um, and just I, just to be clear for our listeners, I want to make sure they understand that I'm not saying. I have concerns about a 14-year-old teenager saying, hey, I think I might be LGBTQ. I have a problem with adults teaching ideologies about sexuality that developing kids find very confusing about their own development in sexuality. I'm mostly concerned about the adults, not the students. Uh, And I think that's why I was saying, like, there's there's just, there's nuance in how certain curricula is being taught. And uh, from teacher to teacher, mm-hmm. from school to school. And because um, there What's are going to the, be some who are going to be uh, some teachers, yeah. some schools will say, here are different identities, how certain people identify. Here's what that, that language means. Here's what pronouns mean. Here's mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they're giving certain definitions uh, from a relatively objective uh, approach. There will be others who it is going to be um, maybe the other side of the militancy of conservatism, right? And the indoctrination we we've instilled on certain things. In the public school, you think that there's people on the more conservative side in the public school system. No, he's saying he's saying Ooh, that I'm, there are some people that are just going to say, "Hey, some little boys, some some children are going to say." Um, even though they're a male, yeah. they're going to say, I'm a girl. My name's Taylor. And yeah. my pronouns are her, she. She, her, yeah. And that's just what some people are going to do, right? Right. Now, I don't know that you can teach the fact of that without some value in it. Because you're saying that that's okay. They're going to do that. We're going to tolerate it. We're going to say that's okay. You're saying on some level it is okay. But I think what he, what he was saying was, some people just say that. And some, some people would be like, look, a lot of what you've learned, in fact, what some of your parents have told you. Is that if you're born a female, you are a little girl. That's not true. That's an arbitrary cultural construct that you don't have to submit to. And you can be whatever you want. Like that level. Yeah. What he's saying is like, just like you have like a Fox News crowd. You're going to have that crowd that's like very indoctrinationally progressive. I think that there's, there's, I think that that's. Okay, I don't want to respond to it because then I'll just take it in a whole other direction. I don't know what you're doing. What no, you're I, to say. And that's what, uh, uh, my point again is just that there, there's nuance, and we're, we're painting like really broad brushstrokes o- over this. Mm-hmm. And I think the broad brushstroke would be that, regardless of which way the person says it, the kids end up thinking that it's okay. Like regardless of, of, of how, and that, that this is an okay, like, I think that's a fair generalization, whether you are accepting of it and you don't get into the nuances of, of gender pronoun ideology, or whether you are accepting of it and you do get into the specifics, even the, the description of it. Make, even it conveys the sense that a little girl who says I am a boy is a sentence that is like Coherent. conceptually meaningful. Yeah. So, so what what did right. what did what have we done, or what's been the evolution of the church and how we have um, discussed the theory of evolution 
from my, our childhood to mm -hmm. today um, and the implications of yeah. some validity to that. Yeah, I think that's a really good example because I think there's two possibly, there's two tacks of that because what the church generally does is it says, okay, what are the moral and spiritual implications of this thing being taught? Right. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes they will at post hoc attack the thing being taught. And on some level, I think that that's really unscientific. Right. And so in our lifetime, there was this development of like, there were Christians who were evolutionists, but it wasn't that many who were in the, within the like Bible believing realm. Mm -hmm. And then there was like, there were like groups in the middle that were trying to sort through mm. biblical authority that was literal but not literalistic so like you had your old earth creationists and your intelligent design movement all that kind of stuff though i think i think intelligent design does meet the criteria for science but it's also a way to grapple with some of that stuff and then you had your like young earth creationism and working that argument right and then over time i think young earth creationism has lost more steam i think the middle groups have lost more steam and this is where we can get back to public stuff because i think when intelligent design was publicly destroyed in the legal system that 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 public pronouncement affected its private function as an as an ideological pursuit right and then you have more christians who have become um evolutionists and that apologetic stream and integrational stream has increased however here's the thing i think is also really important a Questions of value and morality and spirituality are impressed on the minds of young people relative to these beliefs. So like your zoology professor would say, I can't think of his name right now, but I know who you're talking about, um, would say something like, the fact of evolution does not mean that human beings can't be understood to be in the image of God and therefore have the values that we think because we evolved. It doesn't mean we can't have control of our lizard brains. We don't have to be neurological determinists. We don't have to be epi like epiphenomenalist in terms of our view of consciousness, but to like a lot of people, to kids who are taught evolution, they don't know how to do that integration. And so what happens is, is that they get told that they evolved from monkeys, right? To put it in the old Christian colloquialism. And they don't know why we became like this, where we have all these rules and that I have to obey and blah, blah, blah. And so the, the problems with meaning, problems with morality and problems with destiny emerge with that change in their understanding of origin. And so I don't know that the church still knows how to reckon with the doctrine of evolution, of evolution, I was Moral, thinking... like morally and spiritually and how that integrates scientifically. And, and so what, what my concern is, is like, we're okay. So we're going through these like, difficulties with like lgbtq like what, what happens when there's diversity in people's experience of their sexuality well i'm i'm a little concerned because we lived through divorce and i don't think that went well i think it went really bad i think our inability to separate the public dynamic of rejection and exception include exclusion and embrace relative to a public norm that's necessary for human flourishing and our understanding of the moral status of divorce and how those interacted broke terribly mainly because we went along with public policies relative to no-fall divorce that were put in place by Republicans first and then Democrats started with the sainted Ronald Reagan, right? And that, that really, that public ideology made the church worldly about divorce, but we should have been more conservative about divorce mm -hmm. 
but also more inclusive of divorced people and been more nuanced in how we pastored, interacted with divorce. Yeah. Instead, what we did was we just accepted it more and accepted the people who were divorced more. The latter being good, the first being catastrophically bad. So now we have fatherless America. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. But the church is a little bit more, a little bit more inclusive of divorced people. I think that was a bad sale, Adam. I think that we sold a $50,000 car for $35. Like, and, and the people who are divorced who feel a little bit more inclusion, I'm sure they're happy for that. But the destruction of human culture and the childhood, like this is where we get back to intimacy. I'm, I'm pastoring kids in their 20s or pe- people in their 20s and people in their 30s and 40s who have incredibly diminished capacities for intimacy because they were abandoned by their parents because of the contagion of divorce that functions socially. Like we, we know now that like if you're in a group of five couples and one of them gets divorced and you're in that friend group, you are now 33% likely to get a divorce when two minutes ago it was 9% if everybody was married within your social group. Like... So, I, yeah, I don't know that we, I know that the church struggles with it, but it's, I think it's partly because we lag behind, but it's partly because of our interests in these questions. We have moral, spiritual, meaning-based questions in these things. And the people who are trading in them don't seem to be taking seriously enough what it's doing to the moral, spiritual, and meaning-based psychology of the human beings that are being affected. And I think that that's demonstrated in our fatherlessness, our inability to form families, our lack of capacity for intimacy, our rising suicide rates and murder rates, right? Like if you're a white kid in Silicon Valley, your highest likelihood of death is suicide. If you're a black man in Chicago, it's murder. But both of those are anti-individualist human realities of flowing out self-hatred from the culture these young people are growing up in. It's, it's, a, it's leading to death in increasing numbers. And so like, I feel like in some ways the church has been really behind and also profoundly heroic in its rejection and its stick in the muddishness and sorting out the dynamic between those two has been one of the most difficult things in my life. And I don't, and I, and so I, and I, as a pastor, I mean, maybe you can do this in the school as you try to integrate things as a, like a diversity person. But as a pastor, I can't go, I'm going to pull back to these fundamentals and focus on the primaries. I have to have this, I have to have a nuanced view of level one through 10 of certainty versus uncertainty and centrality versus non-centrality. And the resurrection of Jesus, the Christ would be a one, right? Love would be a one, but like some of these other things that we're talking about would be twos or threes. And some of them would be nines. You know what I mean? And the twos and threes, I can't really shrug about. And that would include things like sexual ethics, like ethnic openness, the family divorce, those sorts of things are like super tight in Christian and in the, in the scriptures and Christ's teachings. Uh, I mean, you, you, you point like there's, it's a rustling. The, the church and, and the generations have had to rustle with all of these different things. What does faith um, and the life of Christ look like in every, every context, in every generation? Um, and, and to me, I, I embrace the wrestling, um, not the I'm winning, <laughs> other than who I really believe Christ is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there has been arrest. I, I, I have a, a, a Jew, Jewish friend who he, he, he he's trying to understand Christianity and uh, kind of the modern our tradition. And, and uh, he, he's like, you know, we, we got our name from a guy who wrestled with God. <laughs> it's like we're, we're used to wrestling. Mm-hmm. We all have opinions, um, but we're held together by this this identity, core identity, right? Mm-hmm. Core faith, and and to me, it's that's been valuable um, with how I engage all these different issues, because it's more than engaging the issues is is first engaging the person and walking with them. God is always walking with us in all of our imperfections, and when we get it wrong. And when we get it right, and I think we every side weaponizes, and 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 you even some alluded to this earlier. Like, mm-hmm. I think each side, like the, these polar opposites, the extremes on both sides, they keep reacting to one another, and they, they speak in these really broad monolithic terms, and, and and so then we just get stuck in these big talking points, and it's, and it's not helpful. And each side is like the same coin, right? Just two sides of the mm-hmm. same. And, and to me, it's not helpful reacting to the, like I said earlier, we, the church started cancel culture. We, we kicked out a whole bunch of people uh, and we didn't know how to walk with people. And, and how the Romans were killing right. us. And that's kind of a worse form of canceling than church right. discipline. Right. Yeah. And, and so like how, uh, so then when there's a reaction, right? I mean, like say you pointed out earlier that the good in, that came from the feminist movement mm-hmm. in, in women's rights um, and how do they now freely express themselves and explore all that they're capable of, of, of um, being and doing um, in a newly created world um, with permission. Um, were there some feminists who were just man haters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it say as men, how can we instead of pointing at the extreme, you know, uh, expression of well, see, look at this is this is a permit, and mm-hmm. how about we? It's always plank and speck. I have the plank in my eye, mm-hmm. and so how can I look and see as men? How have we? not stewarded the, the, the responsibility to serve and love well, to empower, to honor, um, we, and, and create certain spaces. We have not stewarded that well. So then there's going to be a reaction. And, and so any, any reaction to a perversion of, of, of abuse of power, like, I have to look, I can't just sit and point at the perversion or the, the reaction, right, mm-hmm. uh, to the abuse. How about the abuser? And, and um, I have to look at that, even though I might not have been complicit personally, right? Mm-hmm. I have to look at how, like, what are the conditions that, and certain beliefs that led to women feeling oppressed mm-hmm. and being... Uh, prevented from certain opportunities, mm-hmm. right? And, and so for me, um, objectify all the other stuff, right? So mm-hmm. like for me, that's how I kind of default. It's like the group in power, it, it was Christians mm-hmm. in this country. So how did we, that's why I challenged Christians mm-hmm. and, and, and the church. Protestant Christians. Right, because we, we have blood on our hands, and we set certain conditions and systems 
up to where there uh, was probably some valid need for some sort of revolt. I mean, and, and that's why, like, even Jesus, right? Like, he's, he's confronting Caesar, and he's confronting the, the religious establishment. Um, and they're, and they're, in yeah. that era, there's a rise of zealots and other revolutionaries. Um, so there's going to be perversions mm-hmm. to the abuses of, of power and, and mm-hmm. perversions in the religious system. Um, yeah. But Jesus somehow has a way to come around and just offer a different way. And yeah. so that's what, where I my pursuit that, is. I think that's, okay, I think that's all true. I, th- I feel like... So well, I feel I, like one of the things that hopefully listeners are getting is that at, like, I don't know if we've disagreed about anything. Yet. I want to ask so you. So it seems like there's, there's a broad differentiation of concern, right? Like, and it might be kind of where we're sitting where we're not because like, and, and I think it gets back to like, there are certain times where the Bible says things that seem very opposite and integrating them can be difficult. For example, in first Corinthians, right? In chapter five, it says you absolutely cannot tolerate this sin. You need to throw this guy out and let him be dealt with by Satan. Right. And you're like, okay, that's very exclusive. Right. And then, but then in chapter nine, he says, I become all things to all people so that in every way I might win as many as possible. And you're okay. 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 Wait, how does this work? Right. And integrating that is kind of difficult. Similarly in second Corinthians, you said you brought up before that in chapter five, he says, you know, Christ was reconciling the world to himself so that he wouldn't have to count men's sins against them. And he's made us the ambassadors of that. And so we're ambassadors of reconciliation, right? And then in chapter 11, he's talking about everything that as an apostle, he has to deal with open seas, imprisonments and so on. And he kind of comes to a climax at the end of it, right? And in verses 27 through 29, he says this, he says, um, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then... He says this, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak? Who is made to fall that I am not indignant, right? And I think that if we, if I had to pick a theme verse from Second Corinthians about my experience as a pastor in this culture, I would say you're quoting Second Corinthians 5, which is true. And I would quote that. I would say as a pastor... I carry in my heart my anxiety for the churches and the people in the churches and their children. And when they're weak, when these kids go to school and they're not fully psychologically formed and they're being, I think, abused and mistreated to the point of psychological trauma for especially more sensitive kids relative to their religious faith, I'm weak in that weakness. I am I am in loving, intimate solidarity with them. And when I watch these kids, they come to me at 12 and 13 years old and said, see, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Or I see them psychologically being overwhelmed by TikTok. And so that they, and they're already like in body dysmorphia because they're not as thin as they're supposed to be. And so the worst of attractiveness culture primes them for the worst of LGBTQ predatory ideology. They get devoured in the midst of that. Their parents come to me in tears Right. Like, I don't know how to reach my kid. Now she, she's taking her body dysmorphia, connecting it to a non-binary ideology, and then turning all of her anger at what this culture has done to her at me, her parent. And I don't know what to do with that. And like, when I hear that, I, I think of this verse, who is not treated that, what Christian is not treated that way, that I am not supposed to feel indignant about it because I am a shepherd to them and they're Christ's sheep. And I'm supposed to not just feed them, but to protect them. Jesus says three times to Peter as the, as the purpose and meaning of the pastoral office. And so I feel like 
those two th- pastors have to all those things in this profound tension. This, I'm an ambassador of the gospel of Christ. I'm all things to all people, right? Which I feel like you're emphasizing. And I feel like there's this other extremely strong emphasis in the mouth of Jesus and in the writings of the apostles, which is like, we are the shepherds of Christ's church. He is the chief shepherd. And this is how we're supposed to feel. And we're supposed to run off wolves and we're supposed to do this stuff. And, and I think that though Jesus doesn't use the word leaven specifically in his discourse in like Matthew 23 relative to irreligious people, which is true. He's not talking about the Romans there. He's talking about a religious, a very religious Jewish culture in which the people who are in power over the ideology of the people he's talking to are Pharisees and Sadducees, right? But he also like rejects lots of forms of Romanism. He speaks about how, how the religious brokenness of the Pharisees is a kind of worldliness. And in the, and then he talks about the world. He just doesn't use the word leaven, but talks about how it affects us and gets in us. And the apostles talk a lot more about that. And of course it's the theme of the entire old Testament, our idolatry, our willingness to walk away from God for what the new Testament would call worldliness is the entire theme of the old Testament. You and I have not had the benefit of an exile to cure us of that, except for what we're experiencing right now. You can argue the whole Christian life is an exile to cure us for heaven. But like, so I think that my, my indignation is well-founded while your ambassadorial spirit is well-founded. Which is why I tend to think maybe we ought not send our kids to the schools as they are this at this moment. But we also have an ambassadorial responsibility that can't be taken away just because we think it might not be the best thing for our kids. That's why I like will do a campaign at my church to go into the government schools and help teach reading and help love kids and help and yet also encourage people that, it, that they may not want to send their kids there because they might not, it might not be good for their kids. It might be really bad for them. Is there anywhere where you can see us disagreeing? Like, cause, cause I, I like your conciliatory spirit. And I love how you're like, we need to be, have this other concern and not lose it. Cause I've seen myself lose it in my tone at times. I look at Jordan Peterson as somebody who's way better than me and I, I'm afraid he's losing it. And I'm like, oh gosh, I need to really be on my guard. I've seen Tim Keller not lose it over 15 years. Right. And so that's, I really hear what you're saying. But I still feel like the indignation that I feel and the desire to protect people in a correct way is my sacred duty that I will also be judged upon that I can't relinquish. Is there anywhere where you think we're, we're disagreeing? Um, I, I don't, I don't think I would tell people to not send their kids to public school. Um, I, I guess uh, from just what I kind of think I said it at the beginning, like I, I don't start from the posture of like fearing what the world world will do, um, and trusting, um, what I am giving, um, my kids or even, even the, how I'm pastoring the people within and there's a vulnerability. I have to accept that vulnerability because, um, even though I may have, uh, a measure of confidence. There's a vulnerability because I still can't control, mm-hmm. um, and there are going to be all these other factors that may may overwhelm whatever impact I I, I can have pastorally on on, on a congregant, um, and, and that's where I think you know clergy have fallen into where we start controlling and we think we can control people. Um, no mm-hmm. parent can control their kids, um, and so accepting that vulnerability. Um, I, 
uh, I think it's to like who who's our audience with these messages. Um, you're you're speaking to churches uh, to 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 the Christian church context mm-hmm. um, in that very like pastoral issues, um, but when that message is recontextualized to the world, it's received or not received, all right, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and that we're we're taking these sorts of, of conversations or debates and, and uh, discipleship sorts of um, matters out into the, the public sphere to, to people who aren't disciples. Um, like, what did you say that was like Jesus' whole ministry? Didn't, like for th- three years, that's what he did. He went into the public and said things that made people want to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, that's what happened. So we have I to do that some time capacity. I think sometimes, sometimes uh, I think his harshest words were for those in his inner circle, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and so, um, I mean, well, there there was still the inner, public inner like, circle or Pharisees, maybe yeah, Pharisees, 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 Pharisees first, yeah, yeah. then um, maybe his yeah, disciples, yeah. disciples yeah. in terms of like protectively hard, like yeah. plank in your eye, right. speck in the other person. But he was calm. Like I, I, I read Mark, or I think Mark, or I don't remember. But like I was kind of, I feel like I get blindsided by how many times he just calls like the mass of people fools. He's like, oh, these fools. Like like the the crowds, you know, the people who don't listen to him. I mean, doesn't he do that quite often, or am I just reading into it? I think he feels like they are easily swayed. Yeah, and I think that that easily. I think that this does get back to a doctrine of worldliness. Like, I think John five and six is a good example where he like feeds everybody bread. Yeah, and then they seem to want him for the bread, and then he's like, okay, I'm not giving any more bread. I'm the bread of life, and everybody leaves. Yeah. And he demonstrates a lack of good faith in these followers, right? And oh. In that sense, but but when he looks over Jerusalem, he weeps because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And I I think I mean that's something I I honestly I really struggle with. I have a really mm-hmm. hard time looking over Madison as a city. And to have a heart for them like sheep without a shepherd. I really struggle with that. Well, how do you... Because I've internalized I have internalized a minority mentality in certain ways. Yeah. Where I feel like I'm fighting for my life. I'm trying to help the people that I'm shepherding survive. Yeah. And honestly, in some ways, it, it, this may sound kind of bigoted, but like, that's where I get some of my empathy for black leaders. Mm-hmm. When a black... But now I've actually, I've experienced, I've seen... Christian kids mm-hmm. experience what I would consider developmental trauma at schools mm-hmm. based on how they're treated because of their religious belief mm-hmm. in terms of exclusion and humiliation and so on um, in a way that's completely developmentally and functionally and humanly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And I go, wait a second, if that can happen to my kid, why can't it happen to a black kid? And mm-hmm. I just don't understand the dynamic. Yeah. Maybe it is happening. So like in some ways it's created a certain kind of empathy, but like I've, I've really struggled with that. And I think, so I think Jesus, I think Jesus does say, I think he demonstrates his, I think Jesus demonstrates his doctrine of worldliness by showing us more than telling us in the gospels. And I think he demonstrates his doctrine against bad religiosity more explicitly, explicitly. as Adam is quoted. Yeah. Do you, I, I, earlier you said something about, um, I might be wrong, like I might misquote, but like the engaging people, not the problem or like the issues engaging people first and then getting to know them and then engaging the issues or something. Does that, what you said, something like that? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Cause otherwise I'm, I'm forcing a conversation and our relationship to be centered around an issue yeah. that I'm imposing 
yeah. when that may not be the highest priority. Like, so, so when I yeah. when, when we had, um, you know, all these African American youth coming to our, our, our youth group, um, there was pressure from from the pastor um, to teach these kids about tithing because they're not paying the bills to keep the gym lights on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that feels stupid to all of us, but there, there's a whole group of people. Yeah. At that in that generation, yeah. right? Because there were uh, families who were threatening to leave because mm-hmm. of that very thing. Because we the, pay tithes, yeah. so we our little kids should be able to have more gym space or at least half of it instead of all of these kids um, coming in and, and taking over the gym. Mm-hmm. So who, wait, who are the, so there's two different groups of kids. There's yeah. The so so basically, the little, the little kids, little church are sharing the gym with yes. these other kids whose parents yeah. don't come to church and they don't tithe. And so there's some, some parents who are like, look, we, we tithe, we actually give, mm-hmm. and then our kids can't get gym time in the life of the church. Meanwhile, all these kids you're bringing in from the outside, they're using the gym all the time. What do they think is the purpose of the gym? They say, well, ministry to our kids too. So yeah, and I, ministry is, is, is engaging with culture and teaching the gospel. So I, I, the gospel. Use, I use that as an example to say yeah. like, here, here's then some, I have an experience with certain Christians who are imposing what they think is the need, primary need mm-hmm. um, to talk to these kids about. <laughs> Um, when I know there are way more higher priority needs yeah. mm-hmm. that I'm addressing right. and engaging them with than that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, we're, we don't do a good job of discerning that because mm-hmm. um, we haven't allowed people to just yeah. be known. And we're imposing like, well, this is what I'm really passionate about. Right. So I'm going to talk to you yeah. about this. Right. Yeah. And it's like... Well, that that's not what I'm at, and I don't want to, and it's not going to really be right. fruitful in the end. Right. Right. And to me, that on both sides, yeah. right? And so um, that's yeah, that's why that makes more sense. Because I, I was, I thought, I feel like you're saying more like to discern what the issue is. You have to know the person because my brain went immediately to um, Jesus with the uh, uh, rich young ruler, which like I, we didn't get much context on that. He like got to know the guy, the rich young ruler just came up to him, tried to make like a moral argument at Jesus. And Jesus was like, follow me if you're going to sell all your stuff. And he said, no. And yeah. that, or like, there's a lot of scenarios where Jesus like immediately attacked the, not attacked or whatever word you want to use. He immediately confronted, confronted the, the issue rather than the person. And it was like, but it, but but oftentimes contextualized to the yeah. person. Okay, Adam has to leave it just a couple yeah, minutes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So Adam, let me, I'm gonna, let me tee something up for you. If you want to hit this softball, hit it. Otherwise, well, I want to give you the full right to just make a final statement, kind of. Right. A lot of our African American friends have said, we can't just talk about personal. We can't just be person to person, because there's a, there's a systemic thing in the air that functions in such a way as to make sure that none of that individual back and forth thing actually gets us anywhere. So as long as systemic racism or white supremacy is embedded in everything, us engaging is futile hmm. because the, the system actually functions to keep the interpersonal relationships from bearing fruit for us, mm-hmm. the African-American folks, right? I, I suspect you're sympathetic to that argument. I feel like I can make the exact same argument, Christianly speaking, that there's a kind of expressive individual, individualistic bad kind of secular, scientific secularism 
that is under the umbrella of white progressivism that is systematized increasingly into the public or government schools, making the kind of interpersonal engagement you're talking about unfruitful, especially for kids. And until that systemic anti-religiousism or whatever you want to call it is dealt with, it I feel like there's a certain futility and unproductivity so that we have to speak truth to that power to use the civil rights terms, because until that power is disenfranchised or, or moved off of home plate, we can't in good faith interact personally on the level we're talking about. So that although I wouldn't say that the average person should take, go take this to Facebook, that a public figure like myself that's in charge of shepherding the church and being a public figure has to be ambassadorially honest, just like we would tell a black leader, right? They have to be an ambassador. They can't just be a firebrand. But at the same time, they've got to be honest about who they're representing and the real effects on the people they're representing of what's happening in the public sphere. Other than historic privilege, like, do you, do you find that like to, to be an unpersuasive analogy or like, how would you grapple with that in terms of an argument? If like religious, like, like, cause Muslims could make the same argument. It doesn't have to be like white evangelicals. They get, I mean, we, we get, we get, we get Indian children at our church, people, kids from India, just because their parents are like, look, I'm not putting my kids in these public schools to teach us lunacy because they don't respect my cultural heritage and our, mm. our form of cultural conservatism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, again, like why I think I, I, I don't like all of the like binary dualism, like just either or, right? And, and how can I hold certain things in tension where on one side I can be an advocate for um, certain uh, justice reforms, right? At, at mm-hmm. systemic levels, um, while also recognizing um, cause see when I, when I, and this is why I always tell people, this is just Adam speaking mm-hmm. when, when I'm in conversations or spaces where it's always about systems, um, I always advocate and bring up the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we treating people? <laughs> um, yeah. I understand there needs to be systemic reform. Um, but then people only live in that headspace and then they think they're really self-righteous because they affirm the need for certain systemic reforms. The more culture warrior you are, the more loving you imagine you are. It actually becomes the opposite. And so for me with this, like they've, they've still neglected the person and they've never got to know black people because they, white liberals can wash their hands, Mm -hmm. uh, and think, well, I vote this way. Right. And whatnot. So, um, but then when I'm speaking with people, when my context is is all on the individual side, I still have to expose like the realities of certain systemic barriers, right. Um, to opportunities, to flourishing, to right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I can't be pitted in the either or it's, it's both. And so Mm -hmm. who, who am I speaking to? Right. And, and not allow people to pigeonhole me into like box me into like mm-hmm. one side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we do as a culture. Right. And we've done that as a church and now it's what the culture is doing. Yeah. So, so to me, it's just, who am I talking to? Um, and I think both are true and, um, and, and both can be really weaponized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, <clears throat> and so to me, that's, um, 
I don't, I don't think they're completely exclusive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Adam, Adam has to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We just want to thank you for being here, Adam. We, yeah. we, and we also want to thank you for what you're doing. I think that we talk about a lot on this podcast about growing in virtue and statesmanship is essentially public virtue, like virtue at the sticking point in public where it's most difficult. And I know that that's a lot of what you do. And uh, we just want to thank you on behalf of like a lot of believers that might listen to this. Um, even some that would have like wanted to quibble with you or even like full argue with you about some things you said that like, we're so glad you're in the system that you're doing this work that you're trying to help Christians integrate with our public areas and also trying to make those public areas better through a mature statesmanship as a Christian believer and the support that you're giving I think implicitly to believers who are also trying to be good statesmen and with stateswomen, I guess you would say too, in the public system. So, um, although I think this area is fraught, I think it's maybe like a lot of situations it's inherently tragic. Like a lot of human life is inherently tragic and all you can do is love, right? Love is the antidote to tragedy in many ways. And, and sometimes it's all you have till you can fix the system. So we just, we're just, thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you for talking to the audience. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you for trying to be a faithful witness. And um, I really appreciate your heart and your, if, if, even if like a fairly conservative person heard this and like wanted to disagree with everything you said, hopefully they at least heard <clears throat> your caution and your, your emphasis to say, Hey, plank in your eyes, plank, plank in your eyes, mm -hmm. speck in the other person's eye. We are ambassadors at heart. Like Jesus was always was focused on religious people and how that can go bad like that and the destruction of our tone when we get angry and we vilify, nobody responds well to us when they're vilified. Right. I think most important, everybody has an yeah. emotional fragility when they're right. turned into a villain, when they think that they've been acting in good yeah. faith. And I think that's true of our LGBTQ advocate neighbors. That's true of our super scientifically secular neighbors. That's true of our like, like even bad versions of critical race theory yeah. neighbors who are trying to do what they think is good. When mm -hmm. we vilify them, they're not going to respond well to that. Yeah. And I think that that, um, that correction you're trying to give that you see in the church is at least a speck in our eye, if not a plank. And I, yeah. I just think that that's real. I, I just hope that when you, if you listen to this podcast and you're like, okay, so should I send my kids to public school? Well, mm -hmm. may, I don't know if this helped you or not, but maybe it did. But yeah. at least I think hearing this, the, what the corrective that Adam is offering mm -hmm. a certain profile of conservative believer, I think is incredibly helpful and important. Yeah. And I don't, and I know that Adam is trying to live this out every day. Mm -hmm. And so I take what he says with a lot of spiritual authority because I know he's trying to literally do it at whatever mm -hmm. it costs him personally in this city. And mm -hmm. so I have a lot of respect for him because of that. Yeah. And I hope that you as listeners, you'll take what he said really, yeah. really seriously. Yeah. Well, real quick before we end this, I just want to say uh, to just on top of that, I think one thing that if an ultra conservative person is listening or ultra progressive, whatever his, your willingness to sit down and have a conversation mm -hmm. with somebody, or, I mean, we, we do, we all don't agree on everything as far as, public schooling goes and yeah. we have a conversation and nobody's nobody's nobody beat anybody so up. we'll have to have him back and like really get him arguing because adam's if you can get him in that mode he's especially fun too really because yeah. like then he's pushing for stuff but yeah. like i think this this was really helpful i think probably for some people somebody let's say somebody listening to this wants to get involved in some way and be yeah. a volunteer in the public schools and maybe talk to you how could they get a get a hold of you to be a part of that uh, I mean, I wouldn't be the point person for any no. volunteerism. Um, they can go to mmsd.org, okay. um, and there, there's, uh, I think, ways to volunteer. Okay. Um, 
there, there's a system, uh, volunteer tracker and all that sort of stuff to, cool. um, be yeah. approved. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I appreciate the conversation. I, you know, to me, it, it's, um, when I look at the whole of the story of God mm-hmm. as revealed in Christ, he's always come down and been, he's been willing to be confined to every limitation and perversion of culture. Um, in every generation mm-hmm. and he's he's still been able to move us along to grow mm-hmm. as a as a humanity mm-hmm. and the, the witness of christ the pure witness not not the the religious perversions of it right mm-hmm. but the pure witness of of christ um bears the most fruit mm-hmm. and that's why I, I i identify with him and i'm happy to be identified by him mm-hmm. um and so how, how can Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live in Babylon, mm-hmm. be, be, be learned in, in that culture, um, have some influence, um, and, and stay faithful? Mm-hmm. And, and how can Jesus come and suffer amongst the oppressed um, and still at the end say, Father, forgive them? Mm-hmm. Um, that, we, we don't suffer well because we've been so conditioned into being a dominant, self-righteously superior, um, you know, institution and, 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 and community. And I think we're, we, we get a great opportunity to learn what it's like to be somewhat of a minority because it humbles us. Mm-hmm. If you don't humble yourself, you will be humbled. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's good for us. It teaches us how to behave. It, it purifies us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good season to wrestle with all of these things. Um, yeah. And the Bible is a gift to minority people. Like the Bible assumes everywhere we're, we're both in the minority and oppressed mm-hmm. and facing persecution. So it's written for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. If that if that should be the case for us. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for being part of this episode. We, right. we appreciate it so much. Yeah. Thanks. If you're like, if you're listening to this and, and you like it, make sure you like subscribe, share this with your friends, follow us, give us a five-star review and a rating and go to optivenetwork.com for more. And we will see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.